Well, hi there, and welcome to my podcast where I invite you to run with me after memories and shape them into stories. On this show, I'll also share samples of my writing and interesting moments from everyday life. I'm your host, Ruru Sig, and today you're listening to my first podcast, The Story Chaser. Welcome to episode eight, folks. Right off the bat, I, it's, it's vanity, it's whatever, I, I have to say it. Uh, I still have a wavering voice since my surgery, so kind of goes in and out. Just bear with me one more week here with this, uh, or maybe forever, I don't know, maybe this is just how I talk now. Uh, it is what it is, and uh, I just I just wanted to say that. Second thing I want to say before I start tonight's episode is a tip for the week. For the writers, uh, if you are experiencing writer's block, that moment, that dreadful moment when you open the laptop or you are sitting there in front of a blank sheet of paper with your pen in hand thinking, come on, the ideas were with me all day while I was at my job or, you know, every running errands, how come they're not coming to me now? I feel you on this. A really great exercise that I made up, it's super helpful, is to put on two or three songs in your playlist your, of your own choice, from the beginning to the end of each one, hit play and just stream of consciousness, write all the way from the beginning of the song till the end, whatever's going through your mind. It may not pertain to the piece of writing that you were working on, but it's a way to dump the junk. Okay, officially episode eight. Let's roll right into it. It's a piece that I wrote this week, another rough shared, and um, it's about it's about a lot, but it's uh, it's about the Chicago Board of Trade. It's about my brother Michael, and uh, I'm just gonna get right into it. We walked on a ground of paper, thousands of people trading the numbers of our economy in a giant room long ago, and what a time it was. You can study market analytical reports and articles, the dynamics of stock trading, investment strategy 101. You can attend seminars from bold to bear trading. But I'm here to share what I learned firsthand about the stock market and how the fate of a billion dollar operation was based purely on something more like um, what underpants a broker chose to wear that day. I worked for the highest volume trading pit on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade, the Dow Jones Future Contracts. A man not even 40 years old yet, who had journeyed through risk and reward, built a trading group from the ground up, and traded dangerous lines on a daily basis. Our leader, the man who held the fate of our salaries, would lead us down the hallway from our office suite to the trading floor, stop before the turn in the corner, place his hand on a lazy Susan-like pedestal which held a generic statue, the type of art that just filled a space, and he would spin it one full circle round. We, the group, about 10 to 12 guys and myself, honored these few seconds in the morning. We walked on behind ducks in suit to the wide open waters of the trading floor. Why, you may be asking? Because if Johnny, our boss, didn't swivel that statue, we would not get the numbers we needed. 
And I know you're waiting for an explanation or thinking you've missed something, but you haven't. Johnny wasn't the only one. The Chicago Board of Trade was a layout of pits filled with traders, fueled by superstitions. Yep, Major League Baseball isn't the only place in the world where these ideas exist. The swiveling statue was only one of many. Some didn't wash their trading jackets for years, believing that filth is what built their children's college fund. Traders scratched continuously through what they called a rally beard. Facial hair grown only during rollover, the quarterly time of the year when the option exchange came on over and combined with us. Eyes locked on the digital numbers, covering all four walls, desperate to see the fluctuation they needed to either buy or sell whatever stock had been weighing them down for weeks. A combination of superstitions without logic or reasonable explanation was our research. And I'm not kidding. I found myself in this world under the wild wing of my brother, Michael. Now, the first memory in life I have of Michael is his right profile. I was about five years old, and he must have been 17 or 18. I remember the right side of his mohawked head, his chiseled jawline, and the prominent eyebrows that always got him more attention than he wanted. He was encouraged by my mother that day to do good now. It will all work out, she said, before seeing him to the door and sending him off. I shifted my head around them to see the TV. The second memory I have is his left profile, returning less than half an hour later or so. My program still entrancing me when the door flew open and Michael barreled through our living room, his left cheek bloodied, his lower jaw in a pout leading him through the house, and a pattern of teeth marks from the bottom of his armpit to the top of his ribcage, telling a story. Someone had just been in his headlock, and they were desperate to get out. I lost interest in the TV, jumped off the couch, only to stand still and now view his back and arms extended out from his sides. My horrified mother, with her hands over her mouth to hold in her cry, as he presented a phrase he often did in life. Hear me out. Hear me out. He had gotten as far as our corner that day, on his way to doing good, when he found trouble. Oh, Michael. I came onto the trading floor just as Michael was completing his Series 3, which was a course he had to go through to earn a trading badge. To stand in the pit and join the sea of people crying out numbers and flashing sign language symbols all day. So he taught me everything about trade checking on the outside of the pit. He was filling his old shoes with my feet. Runikins. The Nikins being a playful spin he often put on the nickname my mother had given me, which was simply really just Ruru. Runikins. Don't let them get out of control. They're going to line up, quick talk. Try to be fast, throw you off, be tough, show them eyes like this. 
and he looked straight at me with the intent to scare me. It worked. Accuracy of those numbers and how you repeat them determines if you get a paycheck. I want you to remember that. It's up to you how much you get paid. Just as he predicted, the clerks ambushed our little area outside the pit with trading cards and hands. They all started shouting at once. My mind was spinning the first few times, but Michael tamed the chaos. Chaos was a language he knew best. Hear me out, guys. Hear me out. We're going to check these trades one at a time. He had a lot of responsibility for our group. He was our main trade checker and also the repairer in what was called the out-trade room. It was a room that opened an hour before the market early in the morning. It was just a few tables where cards were scattered out and traders could decipher what was quoted in error and what they would be left hung on. Hung, meaning, hey, your clerk checked it wrong, it's on you. Basically, your clerk cost you a lot of money that you're hung on. Michael's really sharp, and I often heard him as I passed the out-trade room, beeping my ID over the digital kiosk, through the turnstile on my way to the pits. Hear me out, guys. Hear me out. Look, your clerk wrote the wrong handle. See, this isn't on us. You owe. When he finally passed his Series 3 test and earned his trading badge, he was welcomed into the pit. Boom! 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 I heard many times a day, over the floor covered in paper and trading cards discarded by the second from traders, echoing over the heads of market reporters, wearing their double mic headsets, lining the gray rails of our pit, over the ringing phones all around. Boom! 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 The loudest cry coming from my brother, his fists at each of his sides, his waist shaking. He was the most alive in that pit, crying out for a rally, a rise in numbers from the market. He was begging for the action he so desired. Soon enough, he would be copied from others all around him, creating trader thunder, multiple booms. I would smile while quoting the trades back and forth from other clerks, checking for accuracy as he taught. He made it. He was on the inside. There were many times that I saw people come up and thank him. Uh, thank you for catching that, Mike. Oh my God, that would have cost me a fortune. No problem. Thank you so much for the tip. I, I'm going to try it out. Thank you. It's so great. No problem. No problem. No problem. His compulsive nature worked really well in that environment because he's unable to pass something up if he sees it wrong. So he he has to fix things. And it helped a lot of people. One time uh, that was really special was when him and I got onto an elevator once. And um, this guy ran to catch it. Big guy. Big, towered over both of us. Caught the doors, jumped in, and uh, he was so grateful. He said, thank you for taking my call. I, I, I really had a great birthday. And Michael looked so pleased, and he said, hey, no problem. Why would you want to spend your birthday not remembering it, man? I'm glad you called. 
we got off the elevator and he continued riding on and Michael and I walked down the hallway and I was kind of like, you know, what was that all about? And he said it was just a, just a person in a weak moment who reached out. That's, that's all. But hear me out. I'm going to tell you this, runikins. You ever get offered drugs in your life, you can use them. And the first time's a blast. But every other day after that is a haunting. Just remember that. I was an impressionable 23-year-old kid who had only seen a sliver of the world. My work experience had extended as far as a pizza carryout till this point. My education on how to be tough was watching my brother who had just gotten his legs under himself. His past wasn't one he could exhale through an affirmation. The situations that had been his journey would be a series of scars, like the imprinted set of teeth on his ribcage. His story was rough, and our time together was an opportunity of redemption. It was on the trading floor where we found common ground. And sometimes we disagreed, but mostly we laughed a lot. I took the Rock Island Metro train to and from work every day. Sometimes Michael rode home with me, the days he didn't drive home with Johnny. It was on the Metro, the day I turned more towards the superstitions rather than privately thinking they were totally nuts. It was a Thursday, and we caught the 3.25 p.m. train. A world of difference, just in minutes from the 3.50 p.m., which would be packed. A quiet train ride home was a nice treat after a day of being immersed in the bells, ticks, buzzing and shouting of the trading floor. This particular Thursday, I very much reveled in our score of the available four-seat facing bench. Michael fell into his seat across from me and ran his hands through his hair vigorously, scratching up relief. What a day! I was so close to getting out of my position, and that rise in the numbers towards the end was wild. It came out of nowhere. God, I hope the market goes my way tomorrow. He bit the corner of his thumb and gazed out at the window, lost in exhausted thought. I let out a groan as I untied my shoe and slowly removed it off my foot. My feet were killing me because of the poor fashion choice earlier that morning. I decided to wear brand new platform heels purchased the night before. It wasn't my usual style and I had sold out a bit, desiring to be more like the other gals who walked around the trading floor treating it more like a runway to a beautified life. My hat's off to them. Beauty can be downright painful. Ugh, I'll never do this again, I said, as I rubbed my aching arches, one by one, apologizing to my feet through massage. I mean so close, so frickin' close I was. Michael continued his own rant. Both of us were just speaking. Neither was really listening to the other until... Maybe I can return these. I mean, they're not even my style anyway. I just bought them last night, I said, kicking the shoes to the side and enjoying the cool relief of the train floor on my stocking feet. Michael snapped out of his gaze and looked sharply at me, his head cocked to one side and eyebrows narrowing. The train hissed its departure sound and jolted forward in motion. New shoes? Those are new shoes? He asked, 
with a curiosity that instinctively made me on guard. Yeah, yeah. I bought them last night, but they're like a total nightmare to walk in all day. Each staircase, I thought I was going to die. I'm taking them back, I think. I answered him. Michael held onto the armrest, swaying to the train, shifting on one rail, and wore a huge grin. He pointed right at me and confirmed, Dude, you're actually going to wear those shoes again tomorrow. I started laughing defensively and shaking my head. No, I, I learned enough to know where this was going, but clearly not enough to kept my mouth shut about having new shoes in the first place. No, bro. I believe I just said I wasn't wearing these shoes ever again. Our argument gained momentum as the neighborhoods between downtown Chicago and our approaching neighborhood flashed by the oval window. It got loud. You're wearing the shoes. Yes, I am. Look at my feet, Michael. They're like two loaves of bread in an oven. They're rising and swelling. We became two dogs facing each other, each held back by a leash, our teeth almost touching through an almighty grit, a standoff of, you will, I won't. Suck it up. Those shoes made the rally today. Are you crazy? Seriously, hear yourself, bro. I'm in pain. Our commuters, who had also counted on a quiet ride, began to move to different cars. I'm in pain and his voice cracked, allowing a few tears to fall. Can't you just do this for me, huh? Do you have any idea what's going on here for me? And with that, I I fell back into my seat startled. This wasn't about shoes. This was about a comeback. The unruly teen Mohawk testing the patience of my parents on a constant basis having his first child before even seeing his 20s yet, working long hours before the Board of Trade at the South Water Market, hauling produce, deep inner battles every minute of every day going on. He wiped his tears away and quietly pleaded, Hear me out, dude, please. This wasn't about the shoes at all. This was a man looking at his little sister and a defiance that reminded him of himself, and it scared him to death. All he wanted was a payoff for the grueling hours of studying for that badge and an acknowledgement of paving a financial future. All he wanted was a boom. Later that night, I tossed and turned a Dorothy in the Wizard of Trading Floor. Shoes, numbers, and paper, oh my. After not sleeping much, I limped my way to the trading floor the next day. Michael was standing in the out-trade room, clearing up errors. We locked eyes over the other heads, and he raised his eyebrows up and down in question. I nodded. Yes. I was ready to spend another day walking on pins and needles, crying out in angst with each step. Ah, the shoes! Each desk I visited from one side of the room to the other to check trades. The market was a dead duck until about an hour before it closed. The first sign was always multiple phones ringing at once, and then the numbers on the board rapidly flipping in extremes. Next was the uproar of shouting in the pit. I raised myself up on the rail above the ground, the only relief my angry feet felt. 
and there surrounded by traitors was Michael, doing his best to communicate what they wanted and what he so badly needed. Hear me out, hear me out, he said, shouting, each bid stock that they were selling, his shining moment. He could barely hold his trading cards in his hand, writing as fast as he could as he traded with as many people as possible till the final bell rang, closing the market. As usual, we walked as a group, together, back to our office. I lagged behind, mainly because of the shoes and the limping, but I watched him be the king of superstitions that day, rehashing his glory with the fellas. A view from behind, I was able to see that glory. One put his arm around Michael's shoulder, the other patted his back and congrats. We always sat for a few minutes before exiting the building. For me, it was sort of like wandering into a locker room, except the guys kept their clothes on. We just sat in a relaxed state in the office, occupied whatever chair was available, and just rapped about the day. One of our guys, a nice young fellow called Dave, was scratching at his neck a bit. I got a new shirt. I think it's giving me like a little bit of a reaction or a rash or something. Did you say a new shirt, Dave? Michael asked intently, and the buck was passed. I knew right then and there I was going to retire those shoes forever. That day, my brother's face was beaming. He wasn't going to join me on the train. He would definitely ride home with Johnny. So I nudged my brother forward in his chair as he was sitting on my jacket spread across the back. Have a good weekend, guys. I interrupted their laughter and rehashing of the day's events was looking forward to getting home. They all wished me the same back in similar regards. See you, Runicans. Michael waved casually. I barely barely made the 350, which was pretty packed, but I still scored a single seat. Thankful enough for that, as you could imagine, my feet were now screaming. I didn't even want to tease them by removing my ridiculous shoes at this time. I figured I'll take them off once I was officially home. Take them off for good. Getting snug and settled into my seat, closing my eyes and leaning my head back, I put my hands in the pockets of my jacket. And in my right pocket was a foreign object that caught me off guard. What the heck is this? I thought. I pulled out a trading card that had been folded up into like a makeshift pouch, stapled and closed towards the seam at the top. The words in all capital letters throughout the middle read, RUNAKINS. And the middle of it was puffy. There was definitely something inside. I undid the staples and let the card take its natural flat form when two $100 bills fell into my lap. Inside the card read, one for each foot. Boom. Well, this is as good a place as any to end this episode. My name is Ruru Sig, and I thank you for listening to The Story Chaser. Remember, there are stories everywhere. The key is to focus in on the little memories to find the bigger moments. My promise to you is that I'll keep chasing those stories. Be well, folks, and go ahead. Have a wonderful life.